Wow, what, an, what exciting days we live in, everybody. Yeah, God, you are so good, Lord. You're so much better than we realize. And your goodness just grows and grows and grows. Wow. Wow, thank you, Lord. Well, it's my, it's my joy to um, round out the... Uh, what do you call that? Thank you, Mar. The sermon series we've been in. <laughs> and, uh, and so the series that we've been in is, has been called Just the Beginning. And what a great series it's been through Easter. And Jess did an amazing job last week, uh, Easter Sunday, preaching on uh, the amazing resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest moment in history. And uh, until, of course, he comes back, which will be the ultimate moment in the entire human story. Um, but uh, my job this morning, the, the title that I've been given as the last of this series, this great title, uh, it's not the end, it's just the beginning. It's not the end, it's just the beginning. And I want you to turn with me to uh, the book of Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read an amazing story uh, that just just encapsulates the reality that it's not the end, it's just the beginning. And out of that, uh, this morning, I want to uh, teach and preach for all of us and all of us listening and watching online, uh, for all of us as a church family, that we would understand that in the new covenant there is a new paradigm of thinking that is completely different to the old way of thinking under the old covenant. It's not the end, it's a new beginning. And Jesus ended the old covenant because he, the entire old covenant, was his story and he rewrote a new story, came to bring us into the new covenant and that's the covenant that we're in now. And there's a whole new paradigm, a whole new way of thinking as I'm going to uh, share with you this morning. But let's read this amazing, amazing passage of Scripture. Now Peter and John went together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, verse 1. And a certain man lame... Oh, I felt the Holy Spirit just say to stop. Holy Spirit, I ask you that as we read the Scripture that you would bring us all supernaturally into a whole different way of thinking. In Jesus' name, Jesus is thinking, the mind of Christ, so that our lives will be forever fruitful in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Start again. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms or to beg from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for money. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his son Jesus. His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses and his name through faith in his name ooh, has made this man strong whom you see and know yes the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of all y'all. Oh, I just love this story so much. It's just a magnificent, glorious, first public miracle after Jesus has gone up into heaven and the Holy Spirit has come down and landed on the apostles 10 days later. And soon after that, this extraordinary miracle is done through them by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And I want to take you through five points from this story that helps us to see the massive difference between the way or the mentality and the paradigm of thought of the old covenant versus the way, the culture, the paradigm, the thinking in Christ Jesus in the new covenant. Massive difference. And yet for so many of us and for so many Christians all around the world, they're stuck. We can be, we ourselves may be among them, stuck in the mentality of the old covenant and not living in the new. So I want you to put the slide up, please, team, and keep it up in the center throughout the message, please. Thanks. Point number one I want to draw from this story that so often. The old way of thinking that Jesus came to end is a way of thinking that we're still stuck in. The reality is that God is in me in Christ Jesus, 
But we so often live with the mentality that God is on the outside of me. Now, make no mistake, Scripture is very clear that God is outside of us even if he's in us. Don't be thinking or mistaking that I'm teaching that because Christ is in you, God's not on the outside of you. Oh yeah, he is. And, and we see this even in the life of Jesus. It was absolutely amazing how when he uh, spoke to his disciples in John 14, he said to them, it's not me who says the words that I say. It's not me who does the miracles that I do. It's my Father living in me who does his works. Jesus clearly showing, echoing John 5, 19, where he said, the Son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees his Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does in like manner. John 5, 20, one of my favorite verses, the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. The Father loves you and wants to show you all that he does. Because you are his son or daughter in Christ Jesus. But I want you to to, to, bear, to just remember that, hold that thought, okay? Here's Jesus telling the, the disciples, it's not me who did all of those works, it's my Father living in me who does his works, who says his word. And yet, three years earlier at his baptism, when the heavens were open, the voice spoke from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There wasn't some kind of rumbling on the inside of his tummy. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet he knew, my Father who's in heaven is in me. And in the new covenant, our Father who's in heaven is in us. Because Christ and the Father, Jesus and the Father are one. And Jesus and the Father have come and made their home in you by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not just the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. He's also called in Scripture the Spirit of the Son. Galatians 4 verse 6, the Spirit of the Son. So he's the Spirit of Jesus, even though he's the Holy Spirit. Then in Matthew 10, 20, Jesus said, don't worry about what you say when you're put before the courts and the magistrates and you're put on trial because you believe in me. Don't worry about what you say because in that day, my Father who is in you, will give you the words to say. Ooh. The Spirit of my Father, who's in you, will give you the words to say. And so Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of my Father. Wow. And I can hardly wait till Pentecost to preach a message that God's given me concerning what really happened on Pentecost. It's not like it's some major revelation that the church has never known. I'm just excited to preach it, what the church has always known. And so, you know, Paul also, who is probably the greatest theologian that's ever lived concerning in Christ Jesus theology, who wrote, he just understood the gospel. And he understood that this Jesus, that he heard the voice of, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The moment he gave his life to Jesus, that same Jesus came and dwelt on the inside of him. So that he wrote to the Colossians and he said in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Where is Jesus, everybody? He's in me. In fact, the best way to know whether somebody's born again or not is you ask them, where's Jesus? And if they say he's in me, you know they're born again. Because here's the deal. Yes, we know that he's in heaven. But the reality of why the king of heaven who left heaven and came to earth and now has returned to heaven, the reason he did all of that mission is not so that we know he's in heaven, it's so that we know he's in us. See, every religion, every faith, although that's not the faith of Jesus when I say faith, I'm just being respectful. Every faith, every religion, has a mentality that God is up there somewhere. And we got to get to him. But I'm so glad that Jesus came, that we might have his faith. And his faith is, I've come to you. I've come to you. So we are experienced, number one, God is in me. Number one, God is in me. For those of you that are writing notes, congratulations. God in me is the first point. Our experience and our belief goes from God being on the outside, which gives us a mentality and an approach to life. God, I need you to come to me. How many of you being really honest? Really, really honest. A lot of time you feel alone and your prayers are full of God, I need you to come. God, I need you with me. Someone comes to you and they're sick. And your mentality is, God, I, I need to pray for this person. I, I need you to come and heal them. In the new covenant, it's a completely different mentality. God is in me. Christ is in me. Now, I want you to notice that I've written God because the scriptures are so clear. All of it is operatively by the Holy Spirit because of who Jesus is and what he's done, and the Holy Spirit and Christ and the Father are all one. And the mystery of the Trinity is that God the Father so is so pleased with his Son, as Murray says so eloquently, he's so pleased with his Son, he's so convinced that to know his Son, to see his Son, to be in relationship with his Son, is to be in relationship with the Father, is to see the Father, is to know the Father, that he said long before Jesus was ever born, he said, he will be known as everlasting Father. And Jesus himself said to Philip, Philip, have I not been with you so long? Philip had said, listen, if you're, if you're just the way, like you just told Thomas, if you're just the way, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Philip turns around and says, Jesus, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. In other words, if you're just the way, we thought you were God, but if you're just the way, get out of the way and get us to God. And Jesus says to him, Philip, have you not known me for so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. To know Jesus, to be filled with Jesus, is to have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You are the living headquarters of the Trinity on the earth. Oh my gosh. What would the world look like around you if you actually believed that? 
What would your family look like? What would your workplace look like if actually you began to believe I'm literally the living headquarters of the Trinity on the planet Earth? I'm just debating on whether to say this or wait to get down to it. I'm going to say it now so that I don't forget to say it. You'll notice that when Peter looks at the man, he, he doesn't say, look at me. Actually, let me start again. He doesn't say, look at God quickly. Look up at God. Don't look at me. I'm just a man. Uh, can I just say that humility, okay, is never denying who you are? That's stupidity. And deception. That's not humble at all. You can be the most humble man on planet earth and say to somebody, look at me. Why? Because you've been looking so much at Jesus that humility has been formed in you. You see, humility is not something that you learn. Humility is something that grows in you as a result of you looking at Jesus constantly. Humility is the overflow of a love-filled heart that's been gazing at God. That's why Moses became the most humble man on the face of the earth, through face-to-face encounters. And so because you are filled with Jesus, like Peter, you can say what Peter said, look at me, look at us, look at us. And then he says, in the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He wasn't saying Christian abracadabra. You know, I'm just going to put the little bit of magic dust onto what I just said by quoting in the name of Jesus. Which, by the way, is tragically what we reduce in the name of Jesus to so often. I'm going to make the prayer official by saying in the name of Jesus. Such and such and so and so, in the name of Jesus, amen. As though saying in the name of Jesus now suddenly makes it more legitimate that had we not said it. No, that's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, in the name, I'm in the name of Jesus. And because I'm in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's what he's saying. When we say, in the name of Jesus, we command the funds to purchase land and buildings, we're not saying, abracadabra, let something fall out of heaven on us. We're saying, I'm in the name. Therefore, because you put me in it, not me, and because I'm in your name, I have all authority. Because you have all authority. Now produce what only you can produce. Number two, our mentality is, well, point number two, God with us. God with us. Point number one, God in me. Point number two, God with us. God with us. I want you to notice that the name Emmanuel, which is the name that was given on the old covenant as prophecy to who Jesus would be, Emmanuel means God with us. It does not mean God with me. And so often we fail as a church to recognize how important the rest of the body of Christ are to us and to God. 
And we, if we're not careful, we can start to get a mentality that says, oh, I don't really need anybody else. It's me and Jesus. And you know one thing that this pandemic has taught me? I would say almost more starkly than anything else. This pandemic has taught me that being the church cannot happen without sacrifice on my part. You know, when the pandemic first started, man, I, I, I'm cycling along. The same time that I would have normally been participating in a meeting with the church. And I'm cycling along the sunny glades next to the river, Noose, the Noose River. And Kate and I are cycling along. And hi, hi, hi to everybody else that was cycling along. You know, we're all trying to avoid each other by a little bit of a distance, you know. And, uh, and then I'm like, wow, I could get used to this whole thing of not meeting on Sunday mornings. And then as the pandemic progressed, I'm watching myself preaching. We recorded it early in the week now and just there in my PJs. I'm in my nice armchair. I got my coffee in my hand. Man, I'm loving this. This is awesome. You know, Kate and I being grandparents, and we all too well remember what it was like when our, when our girls were little. And Oh my goodness, the stress of getting our children ready to go to the center, the worship center, was just so stressful. And as grandparents, we're reminded whenever, they live, whenever that we've got the children over the weekend. And, you know, I'm there and I'm thinking, man... I really love it. And we're looking after our grandchildren in the pandemic and our grandkids are running around and we're watching everything happening on the TV. And we're like, thank goodness for that. We didn't have to get them all out of bed early. They, well, actually, they always get up way too early. But anyway, we, we don't have to, you know, get them, get them dressed and then have a fight over which clothes they're going to wear and which dresses they're going to wear or which shorts they're going to wear or whatever it might be or what sneakers they're going to be in. And we don't have to, in the wintertime, we don't have to put their coats on. When our children were growing up, we lived in Canada. Hats, gloves, and coats. Oh my goodness, the fights over hats, coats, and gloves. It was a nightmare. I'm thinking, I've got so many problems in my life. Please don't, don't do this. This is not the biggest problem. But it was. I'm so glad. I, I, in the pandemic, I, I have to say, I did not miss getting my children or my grandchildren ready to go to the worship center so that we could be the church together. I didn't miss it one bit. I loved it. It was so fantastic. I didn't have to get their coats on, their clothes on. We didn't have to fight in the car between my wife and I coming to, uh, coming to the worship center. In fact, it didn't require any effort at all. And I loved it. But then I remembered, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, when was church ever supposed to be something in which it required no effort from you? You were not created for no effort. You were not created for easy street. You were created for sacrifice. You were created to join Jesus He's the eternal sacrifice. He's made the big sacrifice. But now because he's made that sacrifice, 
Our whole lives are a privileged sacrifice to each other and to Jesus. And being part of the church is a huge sacrifice. If it doesn't hurt you one way or another, I'm not talking about sin hurt. I'm talking about sacrifice hurt. I'm talking about the, the reality that comfort, okay, when we let go of our right to comfort, it hurts. But oh my goodness, does it ever allow the kingdom of heaven to be manifested through us. And it is so worth it. It's so worth it to get your grandchildren dressed up to go to the center to be part of the church. It's so worth it to dress up your children to get them ready to go through everything that you have to go through. I'm just using the example of kids, but it could be whatever. It might be the fact that you woke up after a late night, Saturday night with all your friends and you had such a great time and the alarm goes off so that you can come and actually participate in being the church together and you hit that alarm button, you leap out of bed and you're like, oh, where's my coffee? I gotta have my coffee. But you drink that coffee and you get whatever it takes, that anointing, that beautiful anointing. Sorry, I didn't mean that. And you arrive. You arrive. And I want you to notice that the whole story passage of scripture starts with they were on their way to prayer. They were on their way to the temple. You see, they understood Peter and John, even though we're in the new covenant, we're going to utilize everything from the old covenant that's beneficial and that is good and that God loves. And we're going to bring it and we're going to discipline our hearts towards it. Even though we're free to do whatever we want, we're going to choose to pray at the time of prayer. And it was on their way to prayer that the miracle happened. I want to put it to you that everything that you give to this body of Christ that's your co-body with Jesus, it's not Kate and I's. It's your church. And in fact, it's not even our church together. It's Jesus' church. And whatever we give of ourselves... Whatever we choose to lay down on the way to prayer, on the way to worship, on the way to embrace, on the way to outreach, on the way to prophetic uh, blessing, on the way to, it might be a ministry that doesn't even exist, but on the way to that ministry, we realize we're supposed to be that ministry. We're going to start a new ministry at Catch the Fire that's never existed. We're going to start it because God has uniquely wired us to do X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. And if you don't see a ministry that you long to see in this church, become that ministry. Don't wait for permission. Become that ministry. And if you need a little training along the way, if there's a little adjustment here and there, walk in humility. Allow lead the leadership around you to help shape and form until that ministry is a ministry that you and Jesus and everyone around you are just supernaturally blessed by. It was on the way to ministry that the miracle happened. And you know, man, I'm so off my notes. And I don't mean that as some, I mean that as a rebuke to come back to them. Not some, anyway. God has been working in us over the last 10 years or more. When I say us, I mean the church at large, especially in this nation. God has been at work to remind us that our primary mission field is in the marketplace. It's in the world. It's not in the church per se. 
Certainly not in the church building, per se. It's out there. Our primary place of ministry is with our children. It's with our spouse. Our second primary place of ministry, and if we don't have a space, with our families. That's the point I'm trying to make. Secondly, it's, it's out there in our jobs or weak. Manifesting the kingdom. Operating in the spiritual gifts. You might be an investor in property. What better way to make amazing decisions regarding investments in property or investments in anything for that matter than to do it in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? We're all called to make disciples. We will make disciples when we engage the world. The river of God that God showed Ezekiel, in that river in Ezekiel 47, the fish were not at the throne end of the river. They were where the river reached the world. And so I want you all to know that as a church, we believe our mission field, our greatest mission field, is not when we're together per se, although that's important, but it's together being in the world that we live in. However... Having said all of this, I say it for this. What you practice in and become good at within this church family, you will be fantastic outside in the marketplace. If you want to know how to do miracles, if you want to know how to heal the sick, if you want to know how to give accurate prophetic words, if you want to know how to give words of knowledge and words of wisdom, if you want to know how to discern spirits, then get involved within the church family and start getting plugged in and connected and you'll have an amazing practice ground. You can even practice on me. And you can make your mistakes on me. That's fine. Go for it. Make your mistakes on me. Because when you're in the world, you won't make those same mistakes. You will have learned. You will have gained more accuracy. You will have, you would have learned what it is to walk in love. So often, what we want is God to move through us so that somehow we can look good and feel good. When really God's heart is that God wants to move through us, excuse me, God wants to move through us so that He looks good. So that He is revealed. So that the person is touched by his love through us. It's nothing to do with us. Well, you'll be so much more accurate in the world if you've joined a connect group and you're operating in your spiritual gifts within your connect group. Or you've joined Embrace. Or you've joined the prophetic team. Or you've joined the kids ministry. Or you've joined the youth ministry. Or whatever it might be. Or you've started your own ministry within the church. The church context becomes the place just like Peter and John. On the way to the temple, bam, the miracle happens. And from then on, miracles exploded through them all over the world. Amen? Amen. So, number three, all things are ours. In the old paradigm, I never have enough, therefore I have to pray. My approach to life is God hopefully will provide for me if I pray hard enough. In the new paradigm, God's given me himself. He owns everything. If I have him, I have everything. All things are mine. Prayer's my passion with thanksgiving. What does that look like? Well, for example, you're on, your, you're on the way for a journey. 
And typically you remember to pray, well done, good job. You can die in that car. But your prayers would be in the old covenant. Father, I ask you that you be with us on this journey. I ask that you give us a safe journey, that you keep evil away from us, and that, and that, Lord, you would protect us, keep us from all harm, from all danger, hope we don't have a crash, and help us to get there safely. Sounds great, doesn't it? It's just that there's one fundamental absence right there. It's called faith the faith of Jesus operating through you. How do you not pray like that and pray the way the new covenant encourages you to pray? You remind yourself to start with thanksgiving. Father, I thank you that I'm in you, you're in me, and this whole car is in you. Father, I thank you that you're going to keep us safe all the way. Thank you for keeping all drunk drivers, all dangerous drivers, all distracted drivers, all texting drivers, all debris Lord, keep all angry drivers. Thank you for keeping them all far from us. Thank you that we're going to arrive safely and thank you that we're going to have the sweetest fellowship together in the car without fighting and yawping, as we say in England. And we thank you so much for this beautiful reality that you're in us and we're in you. Amen. Totally different. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter, if he was operating in the old covenant, would have said, stop right there. Stay right there. I've got good news for you. I can pray for you. Father, I ask you, in the name of Jesus, would you please do an amazing miracle through me? Lord, would you just come and would you just heal this guy, Lord? And, and, and by the way, can I just remind you that this guy had survived three years of Jesus walking past him every time he went into the temple through the gate beautiful and he never healed him? That man had every right to be disappointed in God, just like many of us get very disappointed in God when God doesn't meet our expectation. And here's this man and he hears that Jesus is only hope. All of his friends had been healed. Blind people had been healed. All of his friends that were lame had been healed. But he himself had never been healed. There's no recorded interaction between him and Jesus or Jesus and him once. He had every right to be disappointed in Jesus. And Peter says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Why did he say his full name and title? Because he's saying to that man, this man that you thought was dead. This man that you thought had passed you by overlooked you. This man that you thought, oh no, he doesn't have the power after all. He's not interested in me at all. He's alive and in his name, rise up and walk. He loves you. He appointed this moment for you and for me. And he doesn't pray for him. He commands him to get up. Let's stand everybody. In the old covenant, God's separate from me. I need God to come and heal, but he probably won't. In the new, I'm one with God. His authority is mine and I'm in him. He, now I heal and do all things in him, with him, and he will do it all. And lastly, this issue of heaven being open. In the old covenant, God's in heaven. I'm here on earth and the heavens are shut. The heavens are shut. I'm going to heaven and if we're not careful, our mentality is I'm going to church. Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Catch the Fire. Where do you go to? Oh, I go to a Baptist church. That's not the right language for the new covenant. That's old covenant language. In, I go to the temple. In the new covenant, I am part of the church called Catch the Fire, the body of Christ. We are the church. 
We're not trying to go to heaven. We're already in heaven. And by the way, heavens are open. They've been open over Jesus' head ever since he came up out of the water. They've never, ever shut. And they're open over him in you. So you're always under an open heaven. Let your language be, Father, I thank you. The heavens are open. Now do the miracles through me. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's a new beginning, everybody. It's the end of the old and the beginning of a new paradigm. Just begin to reach up right now by faith into that invisible atmosphere of heaven and begin to do exactly what I've encouraged you to do. Start with thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, that you're in me and that I'm in you. Thank you that I'm under an open heaven. Thank you that all things are possible through you in me. Thank you that I'm connected to everlasting provision. Thank you that your father's my father. Thank you that just as your father lived in you on earth, so your father, your father and my father lives in me on earth through the same Holy Spirit in me. Now God, lead me in me, lead me into a life of extraordinary miracles. Starting now. Starting right now right now. And Lord, would you show me where you want me to get plugged in in this church, in, in this part of your body here on earth? Or maybe another church if you want me to be there. But Lord, I ask you that you'd help me to find my place of fruitfulness in your body, the church. That you'd make, enable me to live a life that only you can live. In Jesus' name, amen.